0: With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection ice cream. Extraordinary dairy. And we're black. With an all-new episode of Keep It. God damn it. I'm Ira Madison III.
1: I don't know if I get to introduce myself now, but all right. Uh, I'm Lewis Vertel.
2: I'm Aida Osman. Hello. We are black. Thank you, Ira.
1: Yeah. Four letters, three syllables. Do we trust the name Aida? I don't know.
2: Honestly, I don't. I don't know. Everybody always asks me like to reiterate how to pronounce the first my first name, and I'm like, I don't know. You're gonna have to talk to my mother. I believe it's Aida. Mm. She thinks it's Aida. My Friends at home think it's Ada. Like, there's really no... There's just whatever you're feeling. Drop my hat.
0: Well, I've heard your name is an anagram. You know, it actually means always instigating drama. Allah. Uh
2: (laughs) 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 Allah as in God or Allah as in, like, in reference to someone. And it's whoever I'm deciding to reference.
0: (laughs) Aida, I think you have some recommendations for people this week. Since we're going to be kicking this off every week for Black History Month. And then once we get to March, we will promptly stop caring.
2: Of course, of course. Even I. Even I will return to worshipping white men. Okay, anyway. um... (laughs) Irish
1: Domination (laughs) Month is March, (laughs) yes. Yeah, of course.
2: Somebody told me that uh, March was Women's Month, and I was like, since when? And what? (laughs) Is that true?
0: I think it is. Do I
2: know this? Useless. Okay, so the books that I'm recommending for Black History Month are All Black Women. Because if it weren't, you know, I had, I love, of course, I love black women. But if it were more me, I would just recommend every Hanif book every single month. And y'all are tired of hearing that from me, I'm sure.
0: Well, he has like 75. That's true. That's true.
2: He's going to do in like another dissertation on Tribe Called Quest next week, I'm sure. So the first book I would recommend is by a poet. Her name is Aja Monet. She calls herself a black surrealist. She's one of the coolest, dopest poets that I've, I've read in a long time. She gives me a lot of like Octavia Butler wrote poetry um, this mm. book is called The Black Unicorn Sings. Please go read it. It's kind of difficult to find, but it's something that you should definitely engage in. She is a beautiful poet. Next book. I'm sure we've talked about it. I'm sure we have. I'm sure you're familiar with Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Yes. Wow. Wow. Way to put feminism in perspective. I mean, we've, we've talked pretty critically about white feminism and, you know, how it really doesn't have its place in the world, but we haven't talked as much about how black women are literally just trying to survive and don't necessarily need to have conversations about wealth disparity in the workplace because that's not where we're all at. So hood feminism mm-hmm. is a great read to just talk about how you know black women in proportionately lower income areas of the United States are just trying to keep a freaking roof over their heads. And mm-hmm. it's just a deeper investigation of the psychology of black women, which is wonderful. And now a lesser known poet that I've been loving lately who is a black queer person, is tie freedom ford and this book is called how to get over wow if you like jericho brown you'll love Ty freedom ford if you like i don't want to call it lumbering but it is it is slower and it's more quiet poetry
0: it's summertime and the reading is easy
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly
0: i loves you poetry yes
2: <laughs> now while you are reading all those books and i'm so sorry if you don't live in new york or la i don't know what to tell you here are some black owned restaurants that I have just every dollar I made it keep it has just gone directly back into into the pockets of these two companies. Poppy and Rose is a brunch spot in the flower district near downtown in L.A. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The pancakes and the waffles. I don't know I've what it's about black people where they can just cook food better. But somebody get to the bottom of that.
0: Wait, where is this?
2: The, the flower district. Oh, I don't know if you ever venture down there, Lewis.
0: DTLA?
1: <laughs> Lewis? I'm my own flower district, all right? Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, always blooming over here, if you know
0: what I'm saying. Come on down with me and the Ronettes, and we can sing our way downtown.
1: This is a Mary Wilson episode, not a Ronettes episode, so please <laughs> just take that right back. <laughs> R.I.P.
2: And then the last recommendation that I have is bed Fish Fry in Brooklyn. Oh my God! Soul food, oxtail, yams, mac and cheese—just everything that's going to make your upper arms fat. <laughs> like, just
3: <laughs> go, go,
2: go, go. And the last thing I want to recommend is Tara Wax Freestyles. That she's been posting to Instagram. I've never seen anybody's fingers move like that, and she's good at writing. So, go check those out. That's my last. That's my last Black History Month recommendation.
1: What a pecan mm-hmm. platter of stuff! That was very entertaining. Yeah.
0: Uh, I also want to recommend the um, new. FKA Twigs video, mm. um, which has Kara Walker's Tate Modern stuff in it. It is Don't Judge Me. Obviously, Twigs always shows out, and so does Kara Walker. So
2: I'm so excited to see her in this post-Shia world. <laughs>
0: now we don't fuck with
2: him, and she can just be her free self.
0: In this Maddie Healy from the
3: 1975
2: world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Settle> <laughs> He's down. definitely an upgrade
0: from Shia and... Robert Pattison. I'm sorry, Twilight fans, please don't come for we'll
2: me. Get Maddie on the show. This is just something I know that you've wanted for a while, Ira, and I would also
0: We it, DM'd so. each other about coming on Keep It before and you know, all my DMs are lost to the world now. So, oh,
1: Shia, Robert Pattinson, who's like the third member of that trifecta? I guess Miles Teller, but I don't know.
0: Mm. Don't don't put uh, me and Aida's um, white man of choice in that group.
2: <laughs> so Miles Teller is a black man. I don't even know what y'all are talking about. Yeah. I don't know how. With
0: that name, okay, he pink. was born by the river. <laughs>
2: Just shaking that. <laughs> yes. Too much. There's too much. It's like a four C to his hair. There's too much kink to it, guys.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, because of what he's working with, he has to wear relaxed fit jeans. Okay, moving right
1: along. <laughs> <laughs> Relaxed fit. I've my least favorite two words to see in any store anyway.
0: Really? More than bootcut?
2: What's yeah, what's your gene of choice?
1: Boot cut at least has some kitsch to it. Relaxed fits. First of all, don't tell me to relax. Second of all, it's it's very like a kind of jean that uh, Jeff Probst would wear. Just I I don't respect it. Okay, well
0: you do you do dress like it's the first day of school and you're in the partridge family.
1: <laughs> Thank you. I am Susan Day. I respect that. <laughs> You're right. For once, you're right.
2: I love that Lewis uses that top button that nobody ever thinks to use. I love that.
0: (laughs) He was the first man to figure out what the top button is for. (laughs) All right. (laughs) We're ready to start this episode. Sure. Coming up on this episode, we'll discuss the weekend Super Bowl performance, the Golden Globe nominations, the New York Times Britney Spears documentary, and we'll pay tribute to Christopher Plummer. Plus... We'll be joined by comedian and activist Baratunde Thurston. We'll be right back. Over the weekend, The Weeknd performed... At the Super Bowl.
1: My single, my single is dropping, is dropping. <laughs> <laughs> Little 30 Rock reference for you.
0: Everyone's favorite racial justice organization, the NFL, <laughs> had the Super Bowl this weekend where the mm-hmm. racist team name went up against the team led by the racist, <laughs> Tom Brady.
2: Healthy
0: mix. Mr. Maga himself. Of course he won. Whatever. The game was on in the background. I was really just there for the halftime show. Of course. Of course. Of course. Every
2: year we'll say that. My
0: comment also, too, I saw a lot of people commenting like very like um sports gaze being like it's reductive to always say, oh, is there a game going on Um, whenever there's a halftime show playing? And I'm like, you know what? We're not going to stand the NFL yeah, right. this year or any year. So we're we're only interested in the halftime show here. And the commercials.
1: I am fine with calling out unfunny, repetitive Twitter jokes, especially when they've mm-hmm. clearly been made a thousand times and it happens every year on the dot. That said, unfunny Twitter exists all the time. Stop being <laughs> weirded out by the fact that it's <laughs> exhibiting itself on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I just don't find the sport of football compelling. I'm sorry, Like, throwing the thing and catching the thing doesn't speak to me.
0: I would have watched if the Packers were playing and they did play Brady and his Buccaneers uh, and then lose. So I had no interest whatsoever in the Super Bowl this year. And I feel like that's a lot of people. They have interest when their their state is in the game. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Oh, no, no. I watched the World Series um, when uh, the Cubs won a few years ago. It, the, a jolt did go through me. I was surprised about that. Um, when I think of football, do you know what I still think about? Um, this is a reference I will know. Aida, this is when you were probably three or four. No. on road rules australia do you remember piggy Uh, yes who okay she was on one of the challenge seasons and Mm -hmm. she goes um, she goes american football is a game for girls and she talks about how it's like not as rough as rugby or australian rules football and i'm like piggy was right we are catching up to her
2: you put everything into perspective (laughs) for me
0: (laughs) miss piggy (laughs) what a what a character if
2: i didn't think that the references that you guys share could get any more obscure you're like remember this one person who's not even a character on (laughs) the.
0: meanwhile someone's going to do a tweet thread about how they felt um so um recognized by us talking about the real world road rules australia (laughs) oh no right we just changed a a young queer person's life right now yes
2: (laughs) I will engage in watching the game because I really like the practice of liking football. Like, there is something so mm-hmm. American about sitting there and watching these men in their little tight pants run back and forth. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that I never know where the ball is. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> I, I know that is the goof. It's a very
0: small ball. Right.
2: It's a small ball. We're zoomed all the way the fuck out. Football fields do not need to be that large. There's so many things wrong with the general makeup of the football <laughs> field. Why?
1: Right. Ugly field. Let's talk about mm. the lines <laughs> on the field. Not cute. Not geometric in the right way. Mm-mm. By the way, too many people running. I'm sorry. You should be able to work it out so that only two people have to, like, sprint around if you're, like, that good a football team.
2: Too many things going on. First and ten, seven and six. It's too many numbers. Figure it right. out. The
0: only time... I've ever understood football games is watching Friday Night Lights. Can we get the directors from there
2: yes. to
0: go to the NFL? Let's remember Because I Titans. like the gritty, shaky cam, mm-hmm. you know? I understood what was going on there.
1: Right. No, again, my, my theory is you can't see the players' eyes when they're playing, so I can't connect with the stakes. Mm-hmm. Whereas on Friday Night Lights, you really got the inner drama. I knew what was happening mm-hmm. in their inner lives.
0: For me, sports to watch are ranked by tennis, And then basketball.
1: Oh, there you go. Do you know what I think is an underrated sport to watch? Volleyball. I think volleyball Mm. is serious. Oh,
2: I love volleyball. Love
1: volleyball.
0: I love beach volleyball.
1: The angst is so there. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Girls begin on their knees. It's fun. There's action. Mm -hmm. The only good thing about the Super Bowl to me, I mean, beyond the weekend, which we'll get to, was Victoria Monet tweeting. I want y'all to remember who had seven rings first <laughs> after Tom Brady got his seven rings. Mm. Of course, you know, Victoria Monet made the ja- album Jaguar and she's best friends with Ariana Grande. And if you guys have been tracking, I don't know, the mm. world lately. There's a reference to the song Seven Rings.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cute. It yeah. was well, cute. That yeah. is cute. That's, I, I love her standing her friend. <laughs> <laughs> Brave. <laughs> yeah. Also, she dropped a very good song this weekend, F-U-C-K. God listen to Victoria Monet y'all
1: Now we have to get into the weekend which I didn't know men were allowed to have Halftime shows by themselves I had forgotten About <laughs> Justin Timberlake <laughs> I was worried about this I found This controversial you don't remember us Suffering through Maroon
0: 5
2: Guys I don't want to get into how I feel about this because I don't want to deal With the backlash but I hope I liked, to be honest. I
0: liked it I liked it
2: We're not here to be honest okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wow <laughs> <laughs> it was a great show. It was a great show. A lot of money was put into it. But I was watching this man perform and just wondering, like, th- what th- this little Jessica Rabbit ass dress coat you got on. <laughs> I still am baffled to this moment that the weekend is as large as he is, that he is as famous as he is. Are you?
1: Yes. I will say his rise has been subtly meteoric. Like, he's not out of place on the Super Bowl stage and yet. How many times has the average person seen The Weekend? Really, you know, it's just not like a, it, it it it's not like a Michael Jackson or Madonna situation where you were inundated with the image of somebody for so long when they became famous. You know, mm-hmm. you have to like seek out their videos.
2: The sketch he did with James Corden was the first time I heard The Weekend talk. Mm-hmm. That was the very first time. I was so shocked.
1: Mm-hmm. I did enjoy his coat, though. He looked like Rod Roddy in The Price Is Right. So
0: <laughs> I would say that. That is a fair point to make, Lewis. You know, we are probably past the era of Super Bowl performance where um, most people in the general public have just, like, seen that person live mm-hmm. so many times. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Beyonce, know, even Maroon 5, Justin Timberlake, you know, like, we'd seen them for years, you know. And I was thinking about Miley doing, like, the pre-show, and I'm like – it is weird to think of even the weekend being bigger than Miley, but mm-hmm. culturally, the Plastic Hearts era, you know, isn't as big as like that bangers like or even Disney era that she sort of had, right? Yeah, I feel like mm-hmm. it's even past the time for Miley to perform a halftime show.
1: Miley is this very specific category that's like superstar niche, yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> super superstar like um, indie era or something. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I can't feel my face was huge, and also. The pandemic sort of cut short what I feel like would have been a huge weekend year. Yeah. With after hours.
2: It would have been absolutely massive.
0: Yeah.
1: Not that it wasn't, by the way, because... Uh, oh, of course.
0: Blinding Lights is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's like the bi- biggest song of the 21st century
1: or something. It's definitely spent the most weeks in the top 10 and the top 5 on the Billboard Hot 100, mm-hmm. which is crazy for, again, somebody whose physical image does not dominate the landscape the way you'd
0: think it would. Yeah, most people don't know what Abel looks like. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and speaking of not knowing what he looks like, he's always been under those bandages or wearing this weird Twilight Zone makeup that he's mm-hmm. been trying to do for the Starboy release. And, and, and I just want to say this. It feels strange to me to have like a Beyonce or somebody doing a Black Panther tribute in a different year. And then in the year that George Floyd, dies, we were doing, I don't know, loose commentary on getting a nose job. Like, <laughs> it's, I think it was a strange choice for the theme. And
1: no, Aida, I kind of didn't know what the whole bandages thing was about. I, I thought it was way more political seeming at first. And then when mm. he was just talking about, oh, it's Hollywood related or image related, I'm like, is this the song complicated by Avril Lavigne? I mean, it's just, it's not (laughs) as deep as I thought. I
0: actually found it interesting that it was devoid of politics whatsoever, Mm -hmm. to be honest. Uh, Like even, even like Gaga, like caught the football, right. Um, (laughs) Or saying that American ditty at the beginning, uh, this land Mm -hmm. is your land, you know, Mm -hmm. and J Lo even, you know, had the like, um, the flag, you know, and like the kids in cages, you know, and like this was expressly non-political, um, in a way that I feel like, of course, a man could get away with. Um, the the weekend has always been interesting to me because he started out with his, um, you know, his sort of trilogy albums. He was very sort of like underground niche, and you yeah. didn't really see his face a lot, right? Uh, and then he was propelled to this sort of superstardom, but still, it is sort of almost like. A Sia, You know, it's like he's very concerned with like obscuring his face for someone who like dated a Hadid. We still never saw like paparazzi photos of them all the time. Um, the yeah. way you see, you know, like Gigi and Zayn. Yeah. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say that at its core, I found it so interesting because it was like it, it, he had this point of view and was just basically presenting it on stage in this very theatrical way. And I find that, like, when men are, like, theater kids, we, and I speak we, like, queer people watching and commenting on it, right? Mm -hmm. Or friends in my text threads don't really know how to take that in in the way that you take in when, like. A Nicki Minaj or so, something is theatrical, you know, like her fucking Roman era uh, and that abysmal Grammys performance that I will always, always watch. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, what, what a strange <laughs> moment. Uh, it's, it's art. but Or Gaga, you know? Like, it's, it's very much like I'm giving you theater kid. It's this is the thing that's in his brain. And... Whether it works completely or not um, is up to how you, you took it. But I really enjoyed it as a performance. And he played cocaine music at the Super Bowl. That's, That's definitely true. Uh, <laughs> I also I also want to say, like, I thought it got
1: better as it went along. As When it started, I thought, this is a really hard stage to fill if you're not mm-hmm. dancing. You know, if you're not matching the grandeur of the moment with lots of intense physical movement. But then as it went along, I thought they really realized his kind of themes he's obsessed with, which are like a kind of warehouse darkness to everything mm-hmm. and then a mm-hmm. little bit of a dystopian comic book feel. And then when they finally incorporated all those intense Watchmen looking guys dancing around. I mean, yes. I thought that was pretty spectacular. And they utilized the space on the field in a really unique way, which you almost never see during these shows. It reminded me a little bit of when like, Madonna came in doing mm-hmm. Vogue. Um, a very
0: underrated performance, by the way. I love Um, the beginning and end of it most of all but
1: yes also I think Madonna's the one who like turned the Super Bowl performance into what it is now which is like Mm -hmm. now there's like all these set pieces and stuff that people incorporate as opposed to just performing literally for an Mm -hmm. audience
0: although little as it said she also pulled a Justin Timberlake at her Super Bowl doing what it's just that we don't like M.I.A. as much as we love Janet Jackson oh correct when (laughs) M.I.A. MIA gave the finger and then Madonna was like well that wasn't planned yeah right (laughs) right <laughs> it's like of yeah, of course of course you had no idea that was happening at all Madonna
1: I will also say I'm surprised listening to all of the weekend's big hits in a row. Obviously, his music is commercial, but he, to me, does not reek of contrivance. Like, there's something about his music that does feel organic to what his whole thing is. Whereas somebody like Bruno Mars, there's always a little bit like Cole's back-to-school sale to what Mm -hmm. he's doing. (laughs) And I do feel like there's something in The Weeknd that is a little bit rad, is a little bit rad. Like,
0: Bruno Mars is impersonating New Jack, you know? He's giving you Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, um, but, like, repurposing it in, like, basically being a wedding singer. Mm-hmm. Um, which is entertaining. Uh, and I like Bruno. But yeah, the weekend <laughs> feels a bit more like he's you get the influence he's borrowing from Michael Jackson, Prince, you know, Usher, but you know, it's like it feels slightly more original. Um, I like the fact that like even his biggest pop hits are like so moody and dark. I love the album After Hours. Mm-hmm. Um and I think we talked about this when the Grammy's novels came out, you know, it's like it's weird that it's it's such an album that was geared towards like getting like a grammy because it's very much like a this is a album presented as this is an album but even that it doesn't feel contrived Mm -hmm. as an album and i've liked his evolution i mean speaking of hanif earlier like he has a great essay on the weekend um Mm -hmm. in one of his books and um I don't know, like The weekend's music always used to be obsessed with, like, drugs and sex constantly, but it never seemed like he enjoyed those topics as he talked about them. And now it's funny how he's shifting into, like, the music seems more fun, um, but it still has that tinge of darkness around it. I don't know. He he seems very unsatisfied. (laughs) Um, Quite, And that is... um, how you like your artists?
2: That's all you can ask for in an R&B singer, yes. I I think I want to say one thing, though. I mean, overall, of course, it was an amazing performance. The man put like $7 million of his own money up for this, for the, all the theatrics. I've never seen so many niggas play violin. <laughs> that was so important for me to see as a young orchestra girl. And hmm. and beyond that, you know, the occasional ankle shakes he was giving us. Like, I, I see what he was going for.
0: As Ava Duvernay said, "There's so much talent in the hood." Aida.
2: <laughs> <laughs> will I go see him? Will I go see him when we open up? Do you? Will I want to see the show again? Probably not.
0: No. I do, but I did get an email after the Super Bowl that was like tickets on sale for um, the weekend at the Forum, like March 2022, and I was like, "You think that's happening?"
2: He trying to make that <laughs> 7 million back baby. <laughs> he <make> that back. <laughs> scam them. Get them and scam them.
1: And allegedly he did this in exchange for grammy nominations which he did not get since apparently that's the most corrupt organization altogether yeah honestly
0: it was worth it i mean one corrupt organization for another
1: right pick your favorite um (laughs) uh, now there's a chance i will watch him you know in youtube clips from the super bowl before i go out in the same breath that i watch beyonce or lady gaga or madonna or whomever Mm -hmm. so in a way he he has specifically entered a, a pantheon and altogether it was worth it for him i think
0: Well, speaking of corrupt organizations, uh, after we recorded last week, of course, the Golden Globe nominations did come out. Tough. And I had the pleasure of stopping by Love It or Leave It last week to be on the rant wheel about Emily in Paris in particular. Uh, And to get that out of the way, I fully blame Crooked Media for furthering that agenda. Oh, of course. Tommy. Tommy Vitor. Mm Mm-hmm. Emily and John Favreau constantly talking about Emily in Paris on the internet. I'm to blame, too. I talked about it so much.
2: Yeah, they need to f- remember the power they have.
0: They thought it was a cultural <laughs> moment.
2: <laughs> the the, the wa- most wild thing that I'm witnessing online is actually one of my friends in comedians, her name is Abby Govindan, who has just claimed that she is the creator of Emily in Paris, mm-hmm. and now five or six different publications are just writing about how this Indian girl chose to write about a white woman because she knew it would find her more success in Hollywood. And people just believe it.
1: That reminds me <laughs> when our friend Joel Kim Booster claimed he directed the music video for Motivation by Normani, and just people believed it. Uh, guys, he's just a stand up comic. I mean, and a writer <laughs> sometimes.
0: I think I know a thing or two about tricking people into believing things on the internet. Oh, yes, good dumb. point, good point. Right. Mm-hmm. People yes. are very. The, the, the Emily and Paris thing is even more ridiculous because it's like you could look at the show and it says written and created by Darren Starr. Right. Mm
3: hmm. <laughs>
1: I will say something about Golden Globe nominations, specifically the TV department, which is I really feel like you have to lobby for the HFPA's attention. Like when you I did Michaela Cole didn't get, um, you know, for I May Destroy You, which is the big hubbub or whatever. A part of me was like, well, that came out a while ago. She's probably not in a huge promotional cycle for it. Probably didn't think to, like, get their attention. Because what the HFPA is obsessed with is not only the newest thing, but also... The thing they can be the first to award, or the thing yeah. to, the, to heap praise upon—Ugly
0: Betty, Insecure, even right mm.
1: Mozart in the Jungle, yeah, girls like things yeah. that like came out that second. They would
0: have loved to give Michaela something, but you know, I think that Michaela just does not give a fuck about. All I don't think she cares. Italianos rightfully, rightfully. <laughs>
2: That's the best part about it. I was like, Michaela doesn't even know she didn't get a Golden Globe. Can you guys carry on? She's working on another season, <laughs> another amazing show. Someone
0: told her, and she was like, "What is?" A golden,
2: globe. a golden globe okay she's know. like we have the
0: we have the oliviers and the brits i'm not yeah. thinking about a golden globe um, <laughs> because she also knows that the emmys are just gonna back up the truck
1: right That's True. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also the uh, golden globes are the most prominent award i think i think i brought this up before that no one would ever brag about having like if you have a yeah. golden globe did you do anything i don't know
2: this is my favorite new sentiment that i never shared until i met lewis where now i'm like Fuck the Golden Globes. <laughs> what is it even? What
0: is it? <laughs> there is a best actor Golden Globe in Aaron Taylor Johnson's home for nocturnal animals. And that, I think, <laughs> is all you need to know about the Golden Globes.
1: I mean, best True. series winner for a Party of Five. Uh, I believe best comedy one year was the movie Green Card with Gerard Depardieu, which I remember my aunts talking about one time and they were humiliated by how bad it was and made... I think Americans look because we're talking about the, the, the chops of Andy McDowell. Again, all I do is make fun of Andy McDowell on this podcast. Now
0: I mean my number one white woman, Angelina Jolie. Do we remember the year that the tourists got all those noms? Oh
1: yeah. Oh, excuse me. In the same year, three best picture nominations right next to each other. The Tourist, Red, and Burlesque. <laughs> Your head should hurt. That should give you. That should give you like intellectual
0: brain freeze. Okay. I love Angelina so much that I personally have never seen The Tourist, and I never will because I don't want to disrespect her.
1: What's crazy is, do you know what that movie is directed by um, Florian Henkel von Donnersmarck, the guy who did The Lives of Others, and then he fucking did that. It makes no sense.
0: I mean, sometimes people take a moment and. Do something crazy. Like, where'd you go, Bernadette? <laughs> Golden
1: Globe nominee Kate Blanchett. Okay. <laughs> We gotta get into Christopher Plummer quickly though before we move along. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. First of all, this podcast should just be called Guess Who Died now because all we talk
0: about I, is who uh,
2: <laughs> died. At a certain point, we're gonna need to rain it in. <laughs>
0: That's it. When Mary Wilson from The Supremes died this morning, yeah. I'm like Yeah, I know. After I just finished like listening to the Supremes the Past Week and even like wrote a Supremes essay for my newsletter, I'm like, I need the world and like matrix that we're involved in to stop converging on itself. Because uh, it's starting to creep me out. A quick little side story: All summer, my friends and I were like watching clips from Glee constantly, and then oh, bad news kept coming out about everyone in Glee, and I was like, "We've stopped watching those clips." <laughs> you think it's just straight up the ring? Just I mean, directly otherwise, related. Otherwise, Kevin McHale is going to get kidnapped by French terrorists. I don't know, and he's so sweet.
2: Around this time last year almost exactly when we were talking about Knives Out Endlessly Yeah and Christopher Plummer's name got brought up and I had a brain fart and forgot had forgotten who he was and I was like, Who's Christopher Plummer? And you guys were like, Aida <laughs> and then I, of course, you know who hasn't seen *The Sound of Music* as he so fondly called it, *The Sound of Mucus*. Um, it's so <laughs>
1: crazy how much he hates *The Sound of Music*. I do not yeah. like that movie. You,
2: yeah, you don't have to. I don't think any of us like that movie. I think we all love.
1: That oh no, movie. I, I do. It's very okay. long, but yes, I love. Yeah,
0: it's, it's, it is Lewis content.
1: Not really. I'm not like a super musical queen. My thing about Christopher Plummer in that movie is I would say he gives like the fourth or fifth best performance, even though I do like when he like snaps back at a couple people and says i meant to accuse you he has like his snippy lines but it's just not it's a very like stoic mm-hmm character that barely gives us anything and like just Eleanor Parker and Julie Anders and Charmian Carr are the people I really care about in that movie but
2: it's like but it's like the Danny Tanner Bob Saget of it where the actor portraying that character is nothing like who he is yes and uh-huh. when he turns around its I'm, I'm happy he's since come around and enjoys the film now but I he did not enjoy that no at all being that person
1: very at famously
0: you know he's also an actor who I think has gotten better with age mm-hmm. and his face is just so fucking expressive I watched Beginners um, this weekend um, Lovely for the first time, which is, it's weird mm-hmm. that I missed it because I love Mike Mills' um, 20th Century Women. Uh, and it's sort of like a companion piece to that because both of them are about his parents. Uh, and I love his sort of um, documentary style of direction, um, mm-hmm. the cuts and the shots and everything. But it was such a moving film. And Ewan McGregor's great in it as well. But like Christopher Plummer just like gives you so much yeah. with his face and he's a person who's dying of cancer in the movie uh, and a person who comes out late in life at 75 like Mike Mills' dad did. Uh, I will say I never saw it because in my brain I always thought it was a film about Christopher Plummer comes out late in life and then dates Ewan McGregor. (laughs)
1: Well, that that ain't it. (laughs) He does date a younger man, but not him, yes. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, Goran Vishnik Mm -hmm. from ER.
1: Helicopter crash victim, yes, right. Mm -hmm. In an insane (laughs) wig. (laughs) Right. It took me so Um, long
0: to recognize that man in the movie. Goran Vishnik
1: is also in the Power of Goodbye video with Madonna, right? Yes.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, of course, Knives Out, which you all know I love so much I rewatched twice this weekend. Uh he's great in that too. Oh yeah. I, I mean I have to say his best
1: roles are his latter day roles. Um mm-hmm. like if you go back to the 60s like he he is in a, a Natalie Wood movie called Inside Daisy Clover that's not bad. He's in The mm-hmm. Man Who Would Be King in the 70s, but if you wanted to rewatch something he's awesome in, you should watch The Insider where yes! um Russell Crowe and uh he Christopher Plummer plays Mike Wallace and is a shockingly Dead on portrayal. I don't think of Christopher Plummer as a, somebody who does an impression of other people. He's a very, mm-hmm. you know, kind of classical Shakespearean actor with a s- sort of Sean Connery gravitas. Yeah. But he is just fabulous in that. And uh, I, I have to give it up to Drew Drogi, who is an actor comic in LA, who said something very true about Christopher Plummer. He was grand but familiar. Mm-hmm. There's just something about him where it's like, y- you want people, you know, that Jeremy Irons kind of sense of just like, there's a rich, deep, would feel to the way you speak. <laughs> um,
2: Pecan mahogany. He
0: is blue label Johnny Walker. That's exactly a, it. That I'm glad that is that what he is. Just My- wafts into the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, also underrated. It got lost in the conversation, I think, because like he replaced Kevin Spacey in All the Money in the World, mm-hmm. um, and also Mark Wahlberg is in that movie, and no one needs to watch Mark Wahlberg on screen. But Christopher Plummer <laughs> is fucking amazing in that film yes. um, as Getty. And it, it is such a arc of a performance, and I would recommend that you watch that film if you have not seen it, because he and Michelle Williams are amazing in it.
1: Yes. Uh, by the way, can I just say about Mark Wahlberg... He's the only person that got an Oscar nomination for The Departed, and he gives my least favorite performance in that movie. They hand him all these plum one-liners, and he does them so ham-handedly. It's just, I wouldn't even describe it as acting. It's just you had to spit out funny lines and didn't do it well anyway. Would
0: you say that when he was nominated, you had no idea what was happening? Talk about someone who belongs in the Shyamalan universe.
1: That's him. Guys, yeah.
2: it's too much, Marky Mark slander. It's too much, Marky Mark slander. <laughs> I would say this though: Christopher uh, Plummer passing is making me re- realize that Julie Andrews might be coming around the corner here. She's very old. That terrifies me. That terrifies me. And there was something so electric about watching them speak. It was like a like an <laughs> yeah. Abbott and Costello if they wanted to like fuck maybe. <laughs> but it was.
0: I've read that fanfic. Aida, if you think Shonda Rhimes is going to let Julie Andrews die before Bridgerton finishes. <laughs> You got another thing coming.
2: He'll dig her out of her
3: grave.
0: (laughs) Or she'll die and Shonda will be like, actually, we recorded the voiceover for the next 17 seasons of Bridgerton, so we're fine.
1: (laughs) I want to give something quickly to um, any uh, awards devotees. I'm projecting now. But uh, Christopher Plummer, also one of the rare people where he... His then wife Tammy Grimes and their daughter all won Tonys. Mm. Um, Amanda Plummer, very specific and kind of strange actor, sort of in the like Mary Louise Parker role of like kook, your, your, whose head you're trying to get into. If you've ever seen The Fisher King, she was great in that. There's an amazing story on the New York Post. I'm sorry to advertise the New York Post right now from seven years ago, where Amanda Plummer, apparently, who gives a wonderful performance in the play she was doing, some obscure Tennessee Williams uh, melodrama, Mm -hmm. is kind of a handful and like gets in fights with the lighting director and people keep quitting, whatever. And she and Christopher Plummer had kind of an estranged relationship. And at the end of this, it talks about how Christopher Plummer saw her at one performance, ducked out at intermission and told a random theater staffer, I had to leave. Please don't tell her. And I've been thinking about their relationship ever since. Very strange. <laughs> <laughs> She's
0: also in the Hunger Games. Yeah,
3: right?
1: Was... Yeah. She's in Pulp Fiction. She plays Tim Roth's girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anyway, that was a lovely tribute to Christopher Plummer, my king. Please stop dying, people. I know.
1: My God. Yeah. Angela <laughs> Lansbury, get, hide.
0: We may yeah. need a spinoff. Um, To keep it where we just like, it's like the obituaries. Yeah. (laughs) And we're just doing in memoriam every week because otherwise it's just just making the show dark. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. When we're back, Aida and I will have a conversation with Baratunde Thurston. He is the best-selling author of How to Be Black, a former Daily Show producer, and editor of The Onion. He's also the host of the podcast How to Citizen. Please welcome Baratunde Thurston.
5: I did a little research, and I wanted to be current, and so I listened to the last episode, and I heard Ira try really hard to make this Groundhog's Day joke, and Mm -hmm. I just wanted to express my sympathies (laughs) to you, Aida, if I happen to Thank you. uh, See, somebody can understand. You are not alone in your suffering, and I I felt you. (laughs) I
0: felt you.
2: Ira has them locked and loaded. I swear he thinks about them the night before. Like, how can he torment his other co-hosts? And he comes through.
0: That is a gift of a kind. (laughs) I feel like it's my turn. You know, back in the day, the old days of Keep It, Lewis used to have a little notebook with jokes about his actresses and movies that he'd whip out.
2: Shut up. Oh, that's so sweet. See, imagine if I brought that same level of care to this podcast the way Lilith did. Imagine. <laughs> imagine the success.
0: You used to have a notebook too, girl.
2: That's to write down all the shit that you guys would say that I had never heard of in my life. That was too much. But that's it's like um, going into a white writer's room and having to know everything they're talking about. But you, you made me start reading plays and now I'm just a thousand times more cultured, Ira, and I have to give that to you. Yeah,
0: there is there is a level of labor involved in your show, bro. <laughs> mm-hmm. Thank you, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, I guess I'd also say there's a lot of labor in the work that you do for America. Ooh, <laughs> nice segue, homie. Mm,
2: so clean. <laughs> and
0: I do have a question. Why do you love America so much? Give up on her. <laughs> <laughs> you said that like an accusation.
2: <laughs> we, we need to know,
5: man, because I'm here. You know, <laughs> and and that love is not. It's very complicated. Love. It's not a simple like down for everything. Love. It's uh. It's not a no holes barred love. It's a love you can love something and someone and some place and still be mad at it and still be disappointed and briefly hate it and wish you never met it and wanna, wanna leave.
0: Oh, like me and my roommate.
5: Yeah, yes. so America is the roommate that we can't quit.
2: Me and America are Malcolm and Marie, okay? <laughs> I'm just eating mac and cheese, trying to figure out why she don't love me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're like, America, why didn't you cast me?
2: <laughs> why are you writing a story about me and not crediting me, bitch? <laughs> Cause that's
0: very America. That's actually, yep. <laughs> that's how
5: America rolls. <laughs>
2: You know, when I was looking up, you know, I was looking at more information about you and I've I've been a fan for a long time from like political engagement to comedy, all of that. You are from Columbia Heights
5: yes yes that's
2: what i'm only half from columbia heights and my dad stays over there and i was like that's a weird little coincidence that's my favorite thing so columbia thank heights, my you favorite neighborhood in dc
5: of all the things that i've actually put conscious effort into into my life you chose the one thing i had no control over to be most. that's excited very true about. the
2: best thing about you is where you are from well i was i'm always so intrigued because everyone i know who's from dc because we you know kind of grew up around it are so much more intrigued by like just politics and yeah how to actually become a part of our community which is something you focus on in your in your podcast how to citizen such a good listen for me thank you no groundhog jokes yeah. which makes it so
5: good you, <laughs> you know? know what
0: <laughs> fuck you Aida <laughs> both of y'all
5: <laughs> we love you Ira we love you look I accept the DC compliment on behalf of all the uh, non-statehood non-represented people of the district and we are special and uh, we're a little bit better. We're a little bit better course, than your average course. American uh, sitting in that cradle uh, inside the beltway, <laughs> still having the, the temerity to live our own lives independent of beltway gossip, <laughs> have, being agents in our own future. How dare you be an actual Washingtonian? <laughs> so yeah, I, I take lifelong pride in having been born and raised, uh, mostly raised within the city limits and then just outside for my last uh, six years of youth uh, in Tacoma Park, Maryland. So real, real acceptance of that.
0: Speaking of that, how to citizen. you spoken about reframing what the word citizen means to us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. even bringing up like D.C., a bunch of largely black citizens who mm-hmm. don't have statehood or the same representation that the rest of the country does. What does being a citizen mean now? And mm-hmm. what does it mean for black people now uh, yeah. coming out of the Trump era?
5: We are constantly redefining our place in America, and we are constantly mm-hmm. helping America live up to its definition of itself. And that's, that's our, our great contribution is to be more American than America has ever been. We are actually patriotic. We actually protect and serve. We actually demonstrate that long-term commitment through the good and the bad and the ugly and continue showing up so in terms of what it means to citizen black people have like a special access code you know to the participatory and active meaning of that word because we were so long denied the legalistic meaning Mm -hmm. for most of our time here for most of our time here we couldn't technically be citizens and yet here we are bringing freedom to the land for those who would keep us out of a state of freedom yeah liberating the whole country while we liberate ourselves so, yeah, I'll I'll do a, a celebratory Black History Month type tap dance for blackness and citizenship at this particular time, because I think we have, as a group, demonstrated what that means. and And it's a very powerful and inclusive demonstration. It's not like it means only for us or only this way. It's modeling the participation and the commitment required to make society respond to the will of the people. If you're not trying to do that, then just say that, right? <laughs> but you made the mistake of writing down those words, you know, hold and choose to be self-evident, everybody created equal, you know, all that stuff, life, liberty, happiness. And then we figured out how to read. So, oopsies.
2: <laughs> there must be some follow through. Right?
5: We read the terms and conditions before
0: we installed the app. Now
5: what? yeah and and so i've
0: never done that in my life
5: yeah well uh, if you do you will never turn on a device ever again and you would you literally have no way to talk to your friends or, or manage your money it's it's a scam uh, so yeah so i i think it, it requires people to show up and to participate that's real simple yeah to say it's harder to do and it's harder to do well and it's harder to keep doing when you lose faith or when you face an obstacle, or when you feel like you've already done it. Like mad people like, I voted, I'm good. And you're like, oh, oh boo, hi. That's, it's a constant thing. We're never actually done. And that's part of the reframing.
0: If we're constantly doing it, what do white people need to be doing?
5: Ooh. Oh. A lot. I have a list.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Our listeners love lists. That's that's
5: a great title for a new book. What do white people need to be doing? A to-do list by Baratunde Thurston. (laughs) White people need to look back at the history of this country with open eyes and honest ears and hear the truth and not be afraid of it. I think there is so much fear of the ugly parts and the darkness And that fear is connected to shame, and that shame and fear lead folks to hyperreact and be defensive. It's very human. It's not a uniquely white person thing to do. It's a uniquely human thing to do. And when you inherit a position of power built upon some shameful historic acts, it is in your short-term emotional self-interest to never look back. But not doing that means you don't have an honest view of what's happening right now, and you can't honestly into the future that we should all be a part of. So a big thing that white people can do is look at the real history without fear and without shame. Another thing white people can do, step two on my growing list of stuff for white folks, is to be in this joint struggle for all of our freedom for the long run. I know there's a lot of people who swapped out there how to make sourdough for how to be an anti-racist books in the summer of 2020. And uh, they read White Fragility, and they started following some black activists on IG. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we should have this systemic racism thing wrapped up by like Q3 2021, Coachella. (laughs) And that's not how this works. We are all invested, sadly, in a multi-hundred-year system of oppression. And it's going to take a very long time to dig ourselves out of that hole. And then the third thing, because threes are somewhat digestible, and I don't want to take over your whole show. The last thing I'll mention is white people can see our pursuit of liberty and justice uh, not as something they get to bequeath unto black folk or poor folk or people of color. This is not a charitable thing. It's not like a gift (laughs) that you bestow upon folks. It's for all. It's literally liberty and justice for all. And that includes white people. And so I need them to reframe the mission, uh, not to free or help black people, but to free and help themselves. See themselves in the struggle, see the greater potential for all of us when we can all be who we're meant to be. And if you see self-interest in the collective interest, then that's good literally for everyone.
2: Girl, we are shackled together.
5: Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: I don't know if other people are feeling this, but I surely have, especially from the calm after the election and then the chaos since the Capitol storming. I've been feeling really idle as far as like giving back to my community or figuring out how to get back to my community during this time. So how do you talk about, you know, be it black people, all people giving back to their community in an active way on your podcast, How to Citizen?
5: Yeah. I mean, we we, the goal of the show is to show people doing work. And they're not always formal activists, and they're not always political operative type people. They're, they're just people, citizening. They're showing up, they're investing in relationships, they know their power, and they're trying to help the many and not the few. So they're folks who've done a lot of COVID-related work, which is still required. And we've had people who are volunteering, who are donating supplies and running supply donation operations in their city. The most inspiring story we had in this family of stories was the community fridge effort, where folks are deploying refrigerators in their community, on the street, plugged into a local business with their permission, and just putting food in it. And then folks who need food are taking food out of it. And it's this virtuous cycle. And people who don't have food to give will clean the fridge just to contribute in some way. And this a mutual aid level of effort that's popped up relatively spontaneously all over the country. And of course, the world, because America is not truly unique. But the focus of our show has largely been the U.S. So that's a really great story to be able to tell. And it's a different way of flexing citizen that doesn't look like campaigning or doesn't look like marching in the streets, both of which are really valid and useful, but neither of which is the totality of what's possible. So I like that kind of story. And I like the other type of story. And we're digging into this in our second season, the story of money mm-hmm. and like how we use our money to express our collective will and wield that power to benefit everybody in labor, And how we purchase, what we purchase or don't, where we park our money or don't. And so you realize every decision we make is an opportunity to make a statement and to build something more beautiful or double down on something a little more ugly. That could be overwhelming, but it also could be freeing because it looks like a lot of things. There's not one thing everyone has to do. So you pick something that's close to you, that's in your zone of interest, in your zone of, of influence and work on that and other people are working on another part and we move it all forward together.
2: This is the part where we cute get up off of that thing.
3: <laughs> are, you uh-huh.
5: Uh-huh. are you listening? Are you listening? Yes. Oh. This there is, the- is a great like backing track to this whole conversation that would be really fun.
0: <laughs> Going back to your work as a comedian, what's interesting to me is you used to work for the Onion for a bit and um I'm from Wisconsin, so I've always loved the onion. Uh, and I'd love to hear about how you infused your own sense of humor in what I felt growing up, reading it every day in high school, you know, it, it was branded as like America's sense of humor at the time. But obviously that came from a very white perspective. Um, and sort of what do you think that you were able to offer uh once you joined?
5: Yeah, so I was at the Onion for five years, 2007 to 2012, in New York. They had left uh, Wisconsin in 2000, 2001. Actually, <laughs> September 10th, 2001 was like the office opening party for the Onion in New York. And obviously, the next day was my birthday. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Satirical fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fashion of the Onion.
5: So, yeah, I mean, I learned a lot it's, it's there. It's my favorite job that I've had. And uh, in terms of like full-time employment, what I get to do now as me is probably more favorite because I work for me largely, but that was a good employment situation because I went to comedy like grad school. I think I learned what satire, like how you really make it there, which is you in in the satire of a news operation, you really ape the form and you adhere to the serious form almost religiously so that the comedy shines through not because you use comic sans but because you don't because you use times new roman <laughs> right like that's like oh we have to use a comedy font for a joke it's like no no and so you use ap style to write a news story about the most everyday thing and i i had come in you know there definitely were not a lot of black people at the onion and i was probably the only black executive i became director of digital so overseeing all the internet Operations in terms of how we do the comedy online, but I did have a an attitude showing up that I was a little disappointed in that they weren't as like racist as I expected. You know, like, <laughs> like you ever have that half where you're like these white people are the, gonna be the worst, and then they're not, and you're like, oh wow, I gotta check myself before I wreck myself. What do a bunch of white, largely white boys from Wisconsin know writing about race? Uh, And it turns out a lot. (laughs) It turns out there's there's a deep amount of respect and like vetting and conversation. And so I I wasn't, I didn't show up at the Onion to like save it from racism. (laughs) And I I don't think that's why they hired me. In fact, I mean, it probably didn't hurt, but I think my internet skills were a bit more uh, desperately needed in 2007 uh, than than anything else. But, uh, you know, so here's what I learned. Picking the target of, of a joke is a delicate operation. I think The Onion largely got it right. There are flaming times where they did it.
0: I mean, in 2013, that Coventine Wallace joke about her being a C-word does come to mind.
5: Yeah, that was. And I. it's so funny because that happened after I left. Oh, wow. And Did you get blamed for it? I did. I got blamed. So for the people who knew I had left, I was like the savior that wasn't. They were like, this is what happens when Baratunde leaves The Onion. <laughs> and then for people who didn't know I left... They were like, "What have you been doing there? What's your job if not to stop bullshit like this?" And uh, and yeah, and I wasn't I wasn't in the room for that. and I so I really can't speak to what happened there, but I know that it is a dangerous art form, and I know that they mostly don't do stuff like that, and I know it's kind of inevitable that that would happen. So how do you respond to it, How you try to do better the next time? You know, no one's perfect. So I give them a little bit of slack on the no one's perfect thing. But also, as I vaguely remember the joke, it was a weak joke, you know, and I think that was also part of, it It didn't clear a bar, Mm -hmm. the high bar that I had learned there, which is like, what is the statement you're making? Who's the target you're picking? Yada, yada, yada. Uh, Because the onion, in my experience, there wasn't relying on laziness. And I think there was something about the Covingine scene that I'd have to look it up again, but in hindsight, I remember feeling like, oh, that's also lazy and maybe... That sloppiness led to you know how this came out in the world, yeah. But mostly, like I said, mostly good, and mostly learning how to say something indirectly. I tend towards serious, right? Even in our conversation here, like I'm in it, you know, I care a lot, and so it, it helped flex a muscle. Okay, how are we going to get this point across in a different way? One of my favorite Onion headlines. I didn't write this. I didn't write most of the famous ones. I had a lot of work there, and I got some headlines in. But that wasn't my main contribution. But the Obama election night, you know, black man given nation's worst job, that's forever. Mm -hmm. That is forever. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so true on so many levels. And it just it captures America, you know, in so like this president's the janitor (laughs) and, and cleaning up cleaning up W's mess. Who else is gonna fix America but a black person who has always been fixing America but black people? And so I like the compactness. You know, it's a very efficient like message delivery to just spit that headline in the right font, not Comic Sans, and let people receive it and sort of process it. That's really dope. That was really that was really a lot of fun. And to be there during the internet era before all the Nazis showed up was a really it was a really good time.
2: Oh yeah, I imagine that was blissful. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> You're telling me, I moved to New York in 2007 and worked at Radar Magazine, and I can't even fathom how I wrote pop culture news stories back then without the constant stream of information that we currently have. Yeah.
5: Yeah.
4: It was a simpler
5: time back then. Oh, I like that internet. I like it a lot.
0: Well, I mean, that's why we have newsletters now, to get back to the community. (laughs) We're we're going back. We're like stripping it down.
2: reverting.
5: You should start a newsletter. (laughs) I mean, I have a newsletter. It's Recommend Toon Day. Yeah, it's called Recommend Toon Day. Recommend Toon Day. Yeah, it's a, it's, <laughs> it's a weekly weekly dispatch.
0: It's links I've clicked for you. Recommend Toon Day.
2: Exactly. And you
0: were dragging my Groundhog's Day joke naming your newsletter Recommend Day.
2: I'm going to sit in the corner uh, like I, I don't make the worst puns every single podcast. I don't
0: I don't I
5: see no conflict in that whatsoever. <laughs> I, see, <laughs> I can both hate on your joke and legit <laughs> celebrate recommend Day.
2: I want to I want to ask you because I look it's you know, we've been in lockdown for what feels like forever now, but I'm always so interested in why people get into the line of work that they're doing. And you have this background in politics and this genuine care for the people around you, which just baffles me. Um, <laughs> is, is like every day you care? That's wild. Um, is, lo- is, is lockdown giving you more clarity in your line of work? Are you just about to quit on all niggas? <laughs> oh, where are you at? Where are you at?
5: Uh, clarity, clarity, clarity. For the people who apparently I can go a long time without being in touch with, Mm. clarity. For my purpose in this world, clarity. I started making shows faster than the meetings that blocked them could ever have happened. And we launched, you know, I did a We're Having the Moment podcast, the How to Citizen podcast. I did Live on Lockdown twice weekly live streams for months just cranking out and building community and learning. And then I, you know, after Derek Chauvin slowly murdered George Floyd in front of all of us, I found an even deeper part of my voice in terms of speaking some level of truth to this moment. And that was exhausting um, and cathartic and just rage-inducing and tears, so many tears, and they still come. Because yeah. America's still America. But without the, lock, the lockdown, you know, and phases of it kept me at home. And I had to sit with my feelings and sit with myself. And so I brought clarity to parts of me that I haven't always wanted to look at. And that's been a trip. Um, and it's brought clarity to the parts that I am really capable of mm-hmm. that I might have been waiting for others to see that I was just like, or I can just be seen and just beat. And that a lot of that happened over the past year so I'm really grateful for for almost all that. For almost all that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, uh Bertunde. It is Thank really you. nice to talk to someone who earnestly cares about America more than Aida and I do. <laughs> uh, and the people in it. My god. Every day.
5: Not equal parts every day. Just, just for the <laughs> record. Just for there's some days where I care a lot less than other days.
2: <laughs> some days, Wednesdays, Bertrand is a proud boy. But the other <laughs> days, the other proud days. Proud man. I mean, a proud man. Proud it's man. a totally yes, different
5: it's organization. Prideful man. <laughs> Pridefulman.org. <laughs> thank you all yeah, so much for having so me. Much. I love your energy. I love the education you put us all through. Uh, I do have a long list of plays to read and shows to see mm. and books to skim, uh, <laughs> thanks to you.
0: So love skimming a book, to be honest. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Coming up, we dive into the New York Times presents Framing Britney Spears. Friday saw the release of the New York Times produced documentary, The Framing of Britney Spears. And let me tell you, I want to fight everybody. (laughs) Lots of people look really particularly wretched. I want to put on my boxing gloves and fight every motherfucker from the paparazzo in the documentary to Justin Timberlake to Diane
3: Sawyer, (laughs) who is
0: currently being dragged for this interview that she did with Britney, which is featured in the doc, um, which discusses um, the media's relationship with Britney Spears, um, the Free Britney movement um, and the conservatorship. There's an interview with her post-breakup with Justin Timberlake. And so Diane Sawyer reads to Britney um, this quote that was said about her uh, post justins breakup from um, Kennel... Ehrlich, um, a governor's wife, um, who says, I wish that I could shoot Britney Spears because of the example that she is leading to my children. It reminds me of like this most insane moment um, from The Bachelor. My roommate shows me all the time. It's like where Chris Harrison like reads the awful things that fans say about The Bachelorette because she slept with one of the guys before it got to the overnights that they do at the end of the show, like people calling her a whore. Uh, And I saw no clearer line between the connection between reality television and the media and how they produce things in Mm -hmm. Diane Sawyer reading this quote aloud to Britney Spears and just we're just watching her reaction to it and being like, how do you feel about this woman saying that she wishes she could shoot you? And even worse, I looked it up. This speech was given at an anti-domestic violence conference. No and the, woman, way. the woman, The woman was talking about how celebrities um, and the example that they set for young women is why women end up in domestic violence situations. Republicans are crazy. Did
2: you guys often have moments when you're watching this documentary where it felt like satirical clips that were created? Like, yeah, when they showed the family feud reel where they were just like named something that Britney Spears has lost. And people were like, her husband, her hair, her mind, like all it her felt, sanity her, it felt yeah. so surreal. And it's the type of talking about women that i don't really think that we see so much now in current times but it's like the way they talk about Meghan markle on like a daily mail article like just the most ludicrous way mm-hmm. to speak about a person
1: mm-hmm.
2: such a painful documentary to watch so sad
1: it is also um it reminded me of during the taylor swift documentary there's footage of someone on fox news saying, calling her something horrible it just there's no accounting for the amount of horrible things said about these people and also to these people i just want to say about dane sawyer what a crazy job that you would both interview somebody like Vladimir Putin about whatever, war crimes, and then it's your job to ask Britney Spears, are you a virgin? Like, just, (laughs) what what is the journalistic standard at play here? It is really, really wild. Also, I will say, even though this is a New York Times mini documentary, it's a little over an hour, Mm -hmm. um, and even though, honestly, if you just compiled clips of Britney being interviewed, I'm sure that would be enough for a specific and horrifying documentary. A part of this to me did still feel like fan service, which is it to did. say, yeah. it didn't offer enough context for like the tabloidiness of the mid 2000s, like the Perez Hiltoniness of like mm-hmm. who else is being covered in this way. It sort of made it feel like All of this is only happening to Britney Spears. And I'm not saying it's not horrible. Truly, it is a bracing watch. But at the same time, it felt like juice for what I feel is a slightly creepy Free Britney movement. Not that Mm -hmm. the conservatorship feels correct. It it certainly does not. It feels like something that was uh, uh, maybe applicable in 2008 and is since bastardized into this prison she lives in. Whatever. But there's there's something about the Free Britney movement that reminds me of the woman releasing the doves at Michael Jackson's trial, which is to say there's some sort of sense of personal deliverance about people getting behind Britney that has... It's like getting away from reality a little bit or something. It just makes me nervous. I was
0: going to mention that exact moment because I was like, wow, the scenes of people outside the courtroom with signs like Free Britney. I was like, this is exactly like people outside the courtroom uh, for Michael Jackson. And I was like, there's so much connection, obviously, between Britney and Janet being her inspiration and then like the Michael Jackson of it all. And so that just felt surreal. And you're right. I think that, one, there wasn't enough context about what is happening at that specific time period, but there also wasn't enough context for the Free Britney movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I wanted a deeper dive into these people because a lot of people are on the documentary and just sort of talking, and you can... Without editorializing, the New York Times sort of, like, lets you figure out um, that, like, the paparazzo who's on there, right, is, like, a slime ball. Mm -hmm. He's like, Britney never told us to leave her alone. Um, That's why we kept hounding her daily. Uh, And then they show clips that prove that, like, obviously this piece of shit is lying. Um, But the people from the Free Britney movement who were, like, interviewed, like – I don't think there's enough scrutiny of the fact that, yes, a lot of what they're saying is true, but a lot of what they're saying is insane and almost QAnon level when you are reading into everything that this woman says uh, and finding secret clues i'm like are you a swifty <laughs> no no like
1: t- treating her life as something that has easter eggs in it kind of yeah mm-hmm.
0: and the podcast co-hosts
1: i actually am friends with Tess Barker and do think she's hilarious and i knowing her personally i would say She's not like a crazy person who's who's like livelihood depends on Britney Spears, but it just mm-hmm. I've personally have found the general fandom of Britney Spears from the beginning to be slightly condescending at all times, mm. and like like oh she, she's either a mess or she kind of doesn't know what's going on, and now it's morphed into this thing of feeling bad for her for those same reasons, and I just have always mm. found it like a little cringe inducing.
0: I would argue that. At least around the people that I know who love Britney. Uh, and she does have a particularly large black fan base. Totally. I think that the people who love Britney. It's Britney, um, and es- And especially me, my reason for loving her just comes from like that specific era where she was the fucking best. Mm-hmm. You watch her dancing. Like the movement is in her. That's why she was the heir apparent to Janet Jackson. Totally. You know? And for me, my um, standing, the culture of loving her comes from like she really was it and was serving us um the best in the game at that moment and it it does remind you that you know like that Justin Timberlake thing happened to Janet right like he treated both Britney and Janet like shit um in the media um but Janet like goes away Mm -hmm. you know like the the Justin thing helped but even before that she liked to take extended periods of just like being out of the public eye and um Unfortunately, Britney was never afforded that no uh, opportunity, and I think that if she had taken larger um, time periods like and had people in her life who would let her do that away from the public eye, when she came back and was doing music, like she wouldn't have been like hounded. Um, and I think that Janet got to see how her brother was treated, um, and she was like, "I don't want that life." Um, mm-hmm. Moments where you just see like the paparazzi like chasing Britney like to her home in like L.A. Right. It's like, why is she living in L.A.? She should be on an island somewhere.
2: Yeah, <laughs> please lift her out of here. I think for, you know, for what the documentary was lacking, it still gave someone like me who was maybe like 10 when Bernie's 2007 hair shaving yeah. incident happened. A lot of clarity about actually what was going on about her just wanting to see her children or being barred away from her family. And, you know, getting to see this narrative reshaped with actual context about like. Okay, she was having a moment and she was actually rebelling. And and now if you shave your head in 2021, you're doing like a paper editorial spread or you're Rico Nasty. You know, it's a lot more normalized now. But to go back and, and to see that and to, and to recontextualize it was, was really good for someone like me.
1: Mm. I will say also that puts into perspective for me like how long this has been going on. Like the fact that Mm -hmm. we're going on like 16 years of Britney Spears in this sort of embattled relationship with the media, as opposed to one that felt a little bit more comfortable. It's like 15 years is a long time to be sort of adrift Mm -hmm. And, and she's resurfaced and give us a lot of music that has now become as good as the Max Martin stuff when she first came out. But it's just so long now. And I don't know how anybody can be expected to handle that level of not just, scrutiny but like condemnation for things that really have nothing to do with her she really has been like a, just a board for like a million types of projection yeah
0: mm-hmm. the documentary really highlights that where it was like she became the sounding board for the conversation about you know like over sexualizing like um women you know and then like she became like america's couple with Justin Timberlake, and then when that breaks up you know it's like she became like the poster girl for like you know the cheating like girlfriend you know and like that stuff really hit me too more so than how the media like treated her like called her an unfit mother etc revisiting those old interviews where it was like asking her if she was a virgin um sort of shaming her for the breakup with justin timberlake was truly truly wild
2: just straight up being like how are your breasts
0: yeah oh my god the breasts interview
1: oh my god Yes. meanwhile he
0: gets to be on like um radio shows talking about how like yeah i fucked britney spears the virgin and laughing about it um mm-hmm. and really this nigga has never been brought to justice
2: <laughs> not justice
0: ever not justified. for that real we need real justification ju- for, for janet not really you know
1: yeah i feel i feel like every super bowl sunday you see a flurry of tweets being like It should be Janet coming back. Though, honestly, Janet should do the Super Bowl again because she only got to do two songs. Yeah, She only did, I think, All For You and Rhythm Nation. Those aren't the only two Janet songs.
2: I expect Justin to come back with a sincere apology track on the Trolls 3 soundtrack. That's all he has to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's what needs to happen next. It's your only option.
0: I Like, years later, they'll reunite at some award show in their older age, and um, Justin will fall through a trap door, and then I'll be happy.
2: Mm-hmm. i like Christopher Plummer and
0: Julie Andrews. <laughs> I will say, I think Brittany herself is
1: particularly ill-equipped to deal with the media because the thing people really love about her is the, here comes my favorite word, guilelessness. There really was no like air about her ever, you know, just like mm-hmm. happy to be there, excited and mm-hmm. just not super ready to handle horrible people. Whereas I-, I think of like people before her who have kind of lasted specifically Madonna. It's like, Madonna was dealing with people, like, goodbye, dismissed, Mm. you know, and I just don't think she had that kind of um, rabidness for the industry that someone like Madonna had.
0: Or you need a family member who has more of your well-being intact, Mm -hmm. you know, I think of like, even though Matthew Knowles was um, a monster at times, um, Mm -hmm. Tina, you know, was very much like, had a vision for Beyonce and, like, also didn't let the industry affect her um, in a way that, um, you know, like, pop stars before her um, had, like, suffered those things, you know? And it's like when you see in the documentary that, like, Felicia, we love her, you know, like, who was Mm. the official assistant but basically was, like, the caregiver to Britney, that all happened because, like – her mom was like, I have to Jamie Lynn starting school, like and Britney starting this record deal. I can't be with her. And when you're already starting out where like your mother or your father isn't a part of this journey with you at fifteen, like you're going to be like unmoored, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think about we talked about Miley earlier too. Um my friend Royce has talked about, you know, like he he had a guest star on Hannah Montana back in the day. And it's like you just see the like energy that she had on set is so much different than we hear about, like, the other Disney stars, you know, who've, like, um, faced, like, um, hardships, like, in the media or, like, addiction problems, etc. Just because, like, Mm -hmm. her father starred in that show as well, you know? Mm. And so you think about how, like, Miley Cyrus was protected from the Disney machine, so to speak, because her father was firmly there on set every day. And it's like, you're not going to fuck with Miley Cyrus the way that we hear that, Other stars had to deal with bullshit when they were um, younger and on these shows, you know?
1: And it should be noted that her father in this um, documentary, I mean, comes off like a true piece of shit. I mean, I don't mean to say that a lot of her problems aren't directly related to the fact that he apparently was obsessed with her finances from the start and capitalizing Mm -hmm. upon her success. And the fact that he's in charge of the conservatorship is like bad news objectively, but um, I still would like to know more about this guy mm-hmm. because it felt impressionistic what we learned about his intentions. And if he is like a complete miserly exploitative loser, I want further proof actually. I I, just, I think it's mm-hmm. weird how little we know about him.
0: Yeah. I mean, but he also stayed out of the picture for so long and then returned, you know, and I think there's a reason why he wasn't in the picture in the first place, during
2: her rising success. And then at the moment yeah. that she's breaking down, he comes in to save the day. Mm-hmm. And also, there was that brief moment where her brother also came on, they had a clip of him doing an interview. And he also seems to be dodging a lot of information about his sister, and kind of it was giving off the air that that they're kind of all colluding to keep secrets away from the media about how Bernie's actually doing and how she feels about the conservatorship.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, so lots to think about, but I wish there was more, which
2: with millions and mm-hmm. millions of dollars
1: involved, yeah.
0: Well, at least Sarah Jessica Parker has tweeted free Britney, so. Oh yeah. So <laughs> well, it's on then. <laughs> the <judge is> listening.
1: <laughs> and just
0: like that, the conservatorship ended. <laughs> Kim Cattrall now
1: dating Jamie Spears. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. When we're back, keep it. We're back with our favorite segment of the episode, Keep It. We are back. <laughs> yeah. Lewis doesn't get a Keep It this week because it's Black History Month. I mean,
2: Lewis goes last. He says he's back in <laughs> <on> the bus. <laughs> <laughs> I will go. I will go first, though, because I, it's, you know, of course, of course, racism. Of course, racism happened in February, in our dear sacred month of February. But my Keep It this week goes to... A country singer by the name of morgan wallen
0: oh no yeah i know
2: back in the news back in the news Aida,
0: i fully did not want to learn what a morgan wallen was
2: <laughs> he sounds like a a, like a digimon character <laughs> when you talk <laughs> about him like that um i don't know if you guys have seen the clip it's of course a tmz clip where morgan wallen is drunk outside of his home yelling at somebody to get someone out of his out of his way out of his face he's clearly drunk and mad And he says the N word, hard R, wonderful, great. This is the same man who, as we remember, lost his performance spot on SNL because he was seen partying the night before. Oh, was that him? That's him, there you go. Mm -hmm, Put the pieces mm -hmm. together.
0: Okay, I truly, truly did not research this white man.
2: Yeah, that's that's Morgan.
0: That's Morgan. <laughs> wow. Okay. The only white Morgan I
1: support, Fairchild, moving right along. <laughs> mm.
2: Of course, Morgan was allowed to come back and perform like 2 months later because Lauren Michaels loves protecting a man scorned.
0: That's just his whole thing. Of course, Especially if they say racist things about Asians, right?
2: Oh, my God. He loves that. He loves that. He holds (laughs) Shane and Morgan right here in his little bosom. Like, he just loves them (laughs) so much. Lauren Michaels. Okay, so I just wanted to say, when people give you a reason to distrust them, like going out in the pandemic without a mask and just touching up on everybody, and then they come back and apologize and they get redemption we need to just start believing that these people are bad people the first time they do something. And then that that will help Mm, us.
0: Okay, Maya Angelou. Aida Angelou, (laughs) yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Believe them. Just believe them. So fuck Morgan Wallen, and fuck every little country white boy who, like, uses this word racially and, you know, pejoratively, but also just uses it as, like, a noun for anything like it's i've just witnessed so much disgusting behavior from the like mud covered racist white boys in nebraska who act like this and think that this is like totally fine so fuck morgan wallen and fuck the the country industry for allowing somebody at this point to reach the top of the charts and kind of like dominate all of country right now and reveal himself to be one
0: of the worst people after the backlash, didn't his sales go up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Because white people are going white people. Um, I always hate these conversations, too, when someone does this, um, because there's always two annoying things that happen. One, someone starts talking about uh, cancel culture in the country industry when this happens, and it's like, do we not remember the Dixie Chicks We're talking- being yeah. canceled for saying they didn't like Bush? Literally. People always try to talk about racism in country music. And it's like, you know what? Country music is black music. So let's <laughs> yeah. talk about how black up. people created it. And then were are systematically pushed out of the industry to the point where like Lil Nas X can't even get a fucking country hit. Because they're like, oh, this is too hood, nigga shit for us. Uh, and then you want to talk about this Morgan Wallen. I'm like, of course, a person like this is at the top of the charts, right? Because the history mm-hmm. of country music is taking from black people, putting it on white people, excluding black people. And this is the symptom of that.
2: Not stream, Darius Rucker.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> I support black country artists. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's just so frustrating <sighs> because now people are gonna be like, well, we need to have conversations about redemption and how Morgan Wallen can redeem himself and how can he learn? There's, There doesn't need to always be space for that. Go figure that out somewhere else. I don't need to hear you go on another apology tour Post a little iPhone notes about sorry for saying nigga. And I'm saying the kind version of what he said. Fuck Morgan Wallen.
0: The redemption conversation, too, as we've established on this show, always happens Five seconds after we find out about the incident. So soon. It's always Too like, soon. oh, this person did something horrible, like they're a rapist or they said something racist. And then, truly, the same day, someone's like, well, when are we going to give people a space to like redeem themselves and learn? And like, learn. We just found out.
3: Also, if this is just random,
1: when, when like random people on the internet say like, you know, yeah, where's this room for redemption? Is it possible this is just a topic you don't want to talk about? And like, leave it <laughs> to other people who want to deal with the, the gravity of the situation. Stop trying to like change the course of the conversation because you're like bored with it or something.
0: When Lewis talks about the mamas and the papas, I go in the other room because I don't want to have that conversation. I'm disengaging John from the That's conversation. Deeply
1: yeah. <laughs> By the way, I Um, will write the MamaCast biopic. That's
0: on me, so just wait for that. (laughs) Well, speaking of crackers, uh, my keep it this week. My turn? Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) My keep it this week goes to the internet conversation surrounding the restaurant Cracker Barrel. Oh,
2: God, girl.
0: So someone has maybe discovered that there is a whip in the Cracker Barrel logo. And I say discovered in heavy quote marks, because there is not. But then it brought up all these conversations about where the name Cracker Barrel came from and people started talking about how the term cracker was slang for like a slave master you know because he was (laughs) cracking the whip and that's where that term for white people came from and I'm like did we not know this (laughs) (laughs) what did you think it meant yeah are we just discovering what the word cracker means in 2021 come on now We've had a year of being in the house. <laughs> right. In right. The house. Y- y'all haven't read the history. Y'all haven't read the etymology of the word cracker. I'm sure that's in white fragility. <laughs> Which I'm going no to get to. no I have never in my life wanted to talk about the Cracker Barrel, wanted to eat at a Cracker Barrel. All I know is one time on a drive to... Um, Indiana, to visit our extended family, there was a Cracker Barrel, and my grandmother specifically said, we're not going to stop there, because they were racist to and homophobic to my gay uncle in um, the 90s, and she has never eaten there since. Mm. So fuck the Cracker Barrel. Fuck the Cracker Barrel. I
1: associate Cracker Barrel with like, it's like if you're on a long car trip, it's like off the highway, you know, in a very flat part of the country. That's what I think. Mm. So
2: my home. I will fuck up a bacon gravy at a Cracker Barrel. Fuck (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Fuck
0: y'all. I
2: won't tip the waiter.
0: The Cracker Barrel when Applebee's exists?
2: (laughs) Exactly. How dare I when Golden Corral is across the street? How how dare I?
0: Golden Corral, Applebee's, like, like these Chili's are the real honey. restaurants. Give Ruby yeah. Tuesday. Mm, Long John Silver. So many options. No, I did, I did not say that. I did not say that. <laughs> Fine cuisine. Yeah. I loved a fucking fish sandwich from Long John Silver. Yeah,
2: just seafood when I just can see amber waves of grain. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're, we're from the Midwest. You're supposed to not understand seafood. I'm still baffled by it.
2: I don't get it. I don't. You get You
1: really? I can do sushi so, and that's it. Which is bizarre because that's like the rawed fish. I don't know yeah. what's wrong with me. Obviously, <laughs> like I'm
0: black, so we like fried fish. But like Milwaukee is also where there are a lot of fried fish restaurants that sell perch. Um, so that is like my favorite mm. fish. Um, and so I feel like we heavily had seafood. Every weekend. Like the Friday fish fry. That is a Midwestern thing.
1: Yeah, I guess. I, 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 chicken is just more dependable. It just frightens me less. Yeah. I, nothing should be swimming. I'm sorry. Just ever. <laughs>
0: I, I, I don't even like Katie Ledecky. Louis. <laughs> chicken swims in the Why sea. Why are you
3: submerged in water? Why yeah, <laughs> <Get> out. submerged?
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, now... Yeah. Back to the other Cracker Barrel. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the other Cracker
2: Barrel.
0: M- me, you're talking about my identity,
2: guys. Okay. Lewis is wearing a whip as a necklace right now.
0: <laughs> Indiana Jones. I say that because Lewis is a regional manager of a local Cracker Barrel.
1: Oh, I think I I could uh, whip one of those into shape if you will. I, I mean, if you have...
2: oh god, Ira, the way we, Michael Shea and Colin Jost him. You know what I'm talking about. I uh, know <laughs>
0: the the cruelest barb of all. Yeah, except. We are not Michael Shea. Oh, yeah.
2: No, 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 no. And Lewis isn't Colin Jost. No
0: transphobic <laughs> jokes on this podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. Thank you,
1: Aida. And Lewis isn't Colin Jost. Exactly. <laughs> yes.
0: Okay. My keep it this week
1: is to a tweet that, as I write this, is still up. It's been days and days. Um, it is the actress Deborah Messing, if you're familiar with television's Will and Grace.
0: Oh, Deborah Messing. She still acts? I thought she just tweeted uh, <laughs> about Trump. And um, looked at the scarf collection from Smash.
2: And and tried to get into the I Love Lucy films. remember?
0: Debra Messing, no celebrity has ever had a more
1: appropriate last name. Messy, but it's a verb because it's ongoing. Literally, Usain (laughs) Bolt is in second place. His name is not more appropriate for him than Messing is for Debra Messing. Uh, she, She tweeted at somebody this, the following thing. Thank you, and I am so, so sorry you have been forced to selflessly serve our country with a fear for your physical safety, your families. It's unthinkable and shameful. I am grateful you are a strong voice in our Congress now, I think she means to talk to a certain Michigan congresswoman and <laughs> member of the squad, the a o c plus three mm-hmm. yes instead, I'm looking at the at on this tweet, and it says, "I am Rashida Jones." <laughs> 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 the things Angie Tribeca has seen. She clearly meant to respond to, and in fact, in the quote tweet, you can see the handle of Rashida Tlaib, and Deborah messed that up, and the tweet is still up, because we're t- we were talking about handlers with Britney Spears. Apparently, people are just straight up afraid to email Deborah Messing anymore, but this tweet is just so emblematic of that, like, first of all, you are doing the most in this tweet, You know, like, thank you so much. I'm gasping for what you've done for me, Rashida Tlaib. And you can't even get her name right. It's just so, like, it's like a goofus and gallant version of performed white wokeness, you know?
0: Not highlights for children.
1: Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Circle the shitty feminism. Right. Um, She still reads that every Sunday morning. Right, (laughs) right, right. Before she tweets. She's moved on to Kid City. She's a little bit more advanced.
2: Well, wait till she tweets at Ilhan Omar and it goes straight to Omar Epps. Right. (laughs) Wait. That'll be next week.
1: It's like I understand people make mistakes, but like delete the mistake. I can't believe I'm still looking at this right now. It's been screenshotted and reshared and requote, t- retweeted a million times. It is just super appalling. And now you definitely don't deserve to be in that Lucy movie. Let's leave Nicole Kidman alone.
0: My favorite misnaming of the past couple weeks actually has been Bella Hadid, uh, when she saw the film Malcolm and Marie on her Instagram story. She wrote, "Spike Lee has done it again." No. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: you know what though? You know what though? It was a spikely rip. Oh, all the beats, the jazz, the fast cuts, the water just running. It was. I gotta understand You know what? I stand with her, is what I'm saying. I, how about that?
1: Common now mistake. it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Common mistake. I haven't seen Malcolm and Marie yet. I hear it's a mess.
2: Oh, it is a mess. It's a mess. It's an enjoyable mess. It's an enjoyable mess.
0: Yeah, Malcolm and Marie. Uh Zendaya does what needs to be done. Um My keep it to Malcolm and Marie actually goes to the fact that they are making Kraft macaroni and cheese in this film. And I want to know what black person gets that hype for Kraft mac and cheese.
2: Mm. I swear to God, if Barry Jenkins goes home and his partner makes him mac and cheese, I'll find that person and kill them. (laughs)
0: Lulu Wang is not making Barry Jenkins Uh -uh. mac and cheese, okay? Uh -uh. They are watching Cassavetti's films and eating um, mamafuku. Yeah, exactly. I've
1: never had Kraft mac and cheese. It always was too vile seeming to me. It is. Lewis. Craft
0: mac and cheese is like, I
1: know what you said, Louis. <laughs> How is... have you missed
2: such a pivotal in like? It's just part of being an American child. You know what? This explains so much. Actually, <laughs>
3: you've you know, never you had know, the, mac
2: and cheese. Your brain functions. To, to its...
1: <laughs> do you
0: know what? Do you know what I was ingesting? The career of Barbara Stanwyck. How about that? <laughs> think about that next time.
2: What a true nutrients.
0: Some of us did both, Lewis. All right. I could watch double *Indemnity* while also whipping up some craft mac and cheese, powdering uh, cheese is, onto which, some noodles. Which, right. I feel like you're only introduced to this as. Uh, black child because you know the superior mac and cheese which needs to be baked but sometimes mom ain't home and you just got to make mac and cheese yourself and it is for someone who hasn't had it lewis it's just there's something particular about making this cheese where you are never really ever going to get the measurements right to get i guess what it's supposed to be because there's always a version where you just still have like the chalky cheese that comes in the packet, Mm. like, when you're done eating it, it's like, it still tastes like it hasn't fully... Um, dissolved, or like sometimes you put too much milk in it, or it's too watery. Well, it sounds amazing. Well,
2: Ira, they took this out in post in Malcolm and Marie, but they actually cuts up hot dogs and sprinkles <laughs> them
0: with <actual> cheese. <laughs> but they were like, eh, "It's too much, it's too much." She made him hot dog tacos in the first draft. <laughs>
2: She's like, you want a maple syrup sandwich? Let's
0: go, baby. Hot dog tacos with um, Taco Bell. Uh, um... Taco Not sauce. Not the
2: Taco Bell powder. Oh my god. I was like, Mom, it makes it so authentic. You have to get oh, it. Learn. I used
0: <laughs> I used to skill it up hot dark with the Taco Bell seasoning.
1: What is happening
0: here?
2: I, I know, I know, I know, I know. Watch Malcolm <laughs> <and> Murray. <Marie.
0: laughs> uh that was a Black History Month? The more you know for you, Lewis. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. Dig
2: deep into the packet drawer for this one, baby.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm, reach, I'm reaching for white fragility now. I sw- it, This is the month for me. Okay.
0: Next week, we're going to tell you um, the proper way to make Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, oh, right. With what exactly? Well, your people
0: do not put enough sugar in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Fully, fully in high school, I was at my best friend's home, and his mother made us Kool Aid, and I said, I- "I'm sorry, I don't think you made this right."
2: You gave me the diabetic version. I don't need that. It <laughs> full of sugar.
0: If you don't put sugar in it, there's no
1: flavor. I mean, it's like it- it's not like there's top notes of lavender or something that you get if you don't put as much sugar in or whatever.
0: Well, I don't know if you've met other white people, but you know they they don't know a lot about flavor.
1: All right. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, that's our episode this week.
1: Yeah. Good episode. I had fun. I had
3: fun, too.
2: We're
0: glad you had fun. <laughs> I'm welcome. Okay. Yeah. Were the ethnic festivities to your liking this evening?
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was just spicy enough. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thank you again to Baratunde Thurston for joining us. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a cricket Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nar Melkonian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you.